Hey everyone, I'm Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate. This is a podcast where we sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their community. If you're new to the pod, welcome. If you've listened before, welcome back. We hope this episode inspires you to cook or possibly do some good today as these chefs inspire us. And we're grateful to our partners who help make this podcast a reality. With that... This episode is made possible with the help of our friends at Falk Salt. All right, everyone, if you've heard any of our previous shout outs to Falk Salt, you know I'm a fan of their flaky salt. Whether it's on a steak, tomatoes, or other vegetables, it's light and it's clean and it has this crystally crunch that's so good. I know it's used by Michelin star chefs. We've had bartenders use salt in their drinks for our Beyond the Drink episodes. And I'm going to go one step further today ice cream. Yes, I said it. Today's guest is an incredible ice cream maker, but it got me thinking of one of my favorite ice cream experiences when I was living in New York City, and it was a scoop of vanilla ice cream drizzled with a good quality extra virgin olive oil and then sprinkled with flaky salt. And now that I think of it, I'm definitely going to recreate this at home. I wonder how Falk Salt smoked flakes will be with this though. Or maybe they're Himalayan pink flakes. Hmm. I digress. I'm excited to share a little bit more about Falk Salt with you. They have been Sweden's premium salt manufacturer for over 190 years. They produce beautiful 100% natural Mediterranean sea salt flakes. And you almost don't want to eat them because they're so beautiful. If you can't find it in your local grocery store, it is available on Amazon. And to learn more about Falk Salt and all of their different flavors, go to FalkSaltUSA.com. That's F-A-L-K-S-A-L-T-U-S-A dot com. And follow them on social media at FalkSaltUSA. FalkSalt, we thank you. Hey, everyone. One more thing before we get going. We have some awesome Beyond the Plate merch, which you can find a link to in your podcast player or at BeyondThePlateMerch.com. Head on over and check out our hats, tees, and hoodies. Again, that's BeyondThePlateMerch.com. All right. Enjoy this week's episode. All right, everyone, we're a little more than halfway through season six, and hopefully you're enjoying our podcast as well as the Beyond the Drink episodes. We have some incredible conversations coming up for the second half of the season, but I want to give you a quick heads up that the episode you're about to hear was recorded a little while back at the Food Network and Cooking Channel South Beach Wine and Food Festival. Obviously, things have changed since then, but we're excited to be able to share this episode with you. Features one of the most talented ice cream makers in the country. Now, As we know, ice cream is always a good idea, but especially in the summer. Today's guest is the co-founder and head ice cream maker of the Portland-based Salt and Straw Ice Cream. With his cousin Kim, they went from a single ice cream cart to owning and operating 21 locations. They make every batch by hand using the best organic and sustainable ingredients from local farmers and artisans. So please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the plate with a man who's been selected as one of Forbes 30 under 30 for changing the way America eats, maybe because he's created over 1,000 ice cream flavors, and I wouldn't mind trying all of them, meet Tyler Malik. Okay, so you're known for like wacky flavors and selfishly speaking, I love that. Like I was a kid growing up when I went to our local ice cream shop, I was always getting the flavor of the month. Yeah. And my parents are like, what are you doing? You are never gonna finish that. I'm like, this was before it was like a thing, (laughs) you know? So I love going to your shops when I'm in a city that where they are, 
But I mean, you're in, I mean, you've incorporated some wacky thing uh, you, from foie for gras. Unique, for, you, there you go, unique you. <laughs> <laughs> from um, foie gras to sea urchin, right? You know, sure. But, so growing up, did you what were you like a vanilla or chocolate person or neither? Cookies and cream. I think that was my favorite. Yeah, I think for us, you know, unique flavors. It's not. It's not to like shock people. I think that's what a lot of people get wrong about the brand of salt and straws. We love this opportunity. We have this opportunity when customers come in to take them on a journey and be just a little provocative with how we use ingredients. And that's a completely different approach than trying to shock people, right? Provoking conversation about what's going on in the food industry, what's, you know, what the zeitgeist of food is right now, you know, provoking them to talk about nonprofits that we feel are important and changing the food industry all through ice cream. That's like, that's, that's cool. a lot cooler than just, you know, try to shock someone. And it leads to these conversations. I mean, we have people that'll spend 45 minutes to an hour just tasting ice cream because the depth of these stories. It's so cool. And it all starts with, you know, an interesting flavor of ice cream. Yeah. I love that. So you're a master of dessert ice cream, but I'm curious, what did you have for dinner last night? <laughs> I tried to eat as many burgers at, at the Burger Bash last night, but they were all cold by the time they made it to me. Oh, were you, it was like a, a, when you were done serving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I tried to heat it back up on my flat iron. That's funny. It didn't work. <laughs> uh, I went back to the hotel and got um, room service tacos. Room service tacos. And they were tacos. pretty good. Were yeah, they? they were good. Yeah, steak tacos. All right, there you go. You know, I was a vegan for the full month of January. And really? it's actually, um, my wife and I have been carrying it through. So this is really kind of my splurge weekend now that I've, I get to be away and eat a lot of meat. Is this your <laughs> first weekend not being a vegan or you, or you just did it we in January? We were slowly, like we, we were strict in January. Why did you do that? Is there a reason? So at Salt and Straw, we have a whole menu takeover in January, a vegan menu takeover. And I think it's, it's one of my passions in life to talk about why this is an interesting, you know, an important food movement. And, you know, at Salt and Straw, we've got uh, over 20% of our menu all years vegan. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Which is awesome. We have so much fun with the flavors and the textures and the ingredients and just the level of indulgence that you can include with vegan ingredients that's is amazing. A is that's a kind of a recent thing, right? Yeah. We've always had this like tempo, but over the past two years, we've kind of started to own it a little bit more. I mean, it's obviously more widespread these days especially with this game changers documentary and all that good stuff but so what inspired that well we grew up in portland which has i think per capita the highest amount of vegans in the country and which is incredible so we've always like had this tempo of great vegan offerings but i think over the past couple of years we realized that like we had this really good internal battle are we are we going for non-dairy we're going for vegan and those are two completely different worlds. I don't know if that makes sense to anyone except for me and my my weird head. I like it. This this episode's about you, so it makes okay. complete sense. And okay, I love okay. it. <laughs> uh, and I think like there's this opportunity. You know, vegan got so muddied up in this like you know a bean sprout and you know hippie world where we have this opportunity to like own the word it, 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 there's no reason it should be a bad word and so um completely kind of flipping on its head and using ice cream in this really indulgent and creative way to make vegan ice creams we call it our vegan indulgence series so it's 20 percent of the menu at all salt and straws all salt and straws all the time how does how does it so i i feel in portland like you alluded to it's 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 not shocking if you will how does it translate 
outside of Portland. It's, I think people love it. Yeah. Yeah. So we do this in a completely different way than I think you would expect. Full disclosure, I know Guy Fieri is staying right where I'm sitting and I'm, I'm just, I keep looking behind because I'm afraid he's going to come up and give me a headlock or something. Do you get headlocked by Guy Fieri often? I, I did once this Should weekend we already. Should we just spin the table here? <laughs> does it hurt? Does I did, he, I did how once. hard does he, he headlock a, you? He put a shot glass of tequila in front of me and then headlocked me is he is he always wearing those the black tattoo gloves yeah he all and chains and everything yeah i got i got to fist bump guy did you a couple times no no he was there last night i know i saw i was too busy uh we did he hosted a a taco festival at uh, pebble beach food and wine oh yeah a couple years ago so fun and i think he came by He's like, I like it. Yeah. Fist bump. <laughs> I was like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Okay. Vegan outside. Okay. okay, of okay, okay yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, so uh, this is like, again, like this, this idea of like, there's no reason vegan ingredients can't be super indulgent and fun. That, that's like, that was never written in the rules. And in fact, uh, we, we have this one ice cream that's hazelnut butter, coconut cream, and chocolate, which are three fats by the way, you know, the cocoa butter, the cocoa, uh, coconut uh, oil, and then the hazelnut butter. Those three fats are creating this trifecta of texture that you could never get with cream. Hmm. So we're, cre- you know, we're able to create textures and ingredients and flavors that are far more indulgent and like unctuous than dairy milk could ever be. So there's, there's ways, once you kind of talk about that, there's ways we can lean into the ingredients, actually create experiences that would never exist if it weren't vegan. Yeah, I like it. What three words would you use to describe yourself? <laughs> <laughs> oh, anxious. No, I'm just joking. Oh, that's really hard. How do other people answer this? The other day, Michelle Nishan, the chef, said flawed, and he said real, and he said kind. He hopes people think of him as kind. That's nice. It's run the gamut all over the board. Okay, okay. I think um, I, I like to learn. I'm a learner, uh, which, and I like to uh, and translate that, or like, um, is it con- can I have a conjunction, like a tour guide? Yeah. I was actually... Tour Guide of the Year in Alaska. Really? 2008. Tour Guide of the Year, Juneau, Alaska. You can look that up. There's probably a, you should be on a Wikipedia page this somewhere. This is amazing. <laughs> I think to learn and then to, uh, to kind of bring people on that journey. And then I, I hope, uh, I'm, I'm very humble. And that's how I approach all of my cooking, everything. Just, you know, I think this opportunity to learn from someone else and like just take my voice almost completely out of it and translate what they're saying into a scoop of ice cream. And so when you go into Salt and Straw, you'll see a lot of uh, collaborations, quote unquote. And it's really just me trying to go out there and learn and tell other people's stories through our ice cream. So hopefully that's the, those are three words. Yeah. You know, you've alluded to this twice and I want to tell you, You've alluded to your shops and what your ice cream is trying to convey in a way, like a story. And I've been to the shop in uh, Venice Beach a couple times. Yeah. And I get that. Thank you. Because I, when mm. I go into shops like that, the hospitality as an umbrella term, if you will, is mm-hmm. important. Like I grew up in it yeah. and I still kind of consider myself in it. But when I speak to the staff and they tell a story or I like I ask them what their favorite flavor is and why they communicate with you you know and you don't always get that you know some people are like I don't know what do you feel like I'm like no 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 I'm asking like I'm asking you but 
you know. It was so funny. So we got to open in Disneyland a year and a half ago. And uh, it was interesting because we, we were nervous about doing opening there because we thought exactly the opposite. We, we, we've been known, we have, you know, 20 Salt and Straw locations that are known for this kind of white glove service. They take you through this journey. Use the ice cream as a foundation to start really important conversations um, that hopefully are changing people's days. And so we were going to open in Disney and everyone we were talking to was saying, well, how are you going to be successful if you can't do that? And it was exactly, we had to stop and we, we actually literally up until the last minute, we had to stop ourselves and be like, we're going to, this is critical to our company. We're going to maintain this as we grow, even in Disneyland. It's insane because you'll see that same experience with people from all around the world. They'll still spend, you know, a huge amount of time just talking about flavors of ice cream while there's a line that's like huge, you know, 20 times over behind them. So I think we were nervous because we were like, well, are, you know, people from other parts of the country, people from other parts of the world, are they going to appreciate this? And uh, it's turned into a phenomenon, I think, that people are really in love with. Yeah, that's awesome. Where did you grow up? Seattle? Seattle. You grew up in Seattle. What was 10-year-old Tyler like? Did you cook when you were young? Well, I, I grew up in the Food Network era. You know, like, this is why Rachel Ray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. I think I cooked a little. It was funny because I my two grandmas were like the polar opposite of each other. One grandma I would cook, um, she, you know, she would teach me how to make candy, and uh, we'd cook fifty different types of Christmas cookies every year, and et cetera, et cetera. And then my other grandma would buy a box of cake and bring it, and she'd be like, "I don't know how to make this," <laughs> and set it on the table and make me cook it. I bake it for her. So yeah, I learned how to cook a little bit and it was always around sweets I suppose. So you and your cousin who's also business partner Kim I, I read about that going to grandma's and making candy did this inspire who you are today or what you're doing today like the process of it and grandma in general? Yeah I think that was always a foundation for me and you know built this love for cooking. I think I, I really there was one pivot point in my life, I think, that really changed everything. I was just moving back from Beijing. I was I have my degree in Chinese and business, which really? is not very applicable in ice cream. You speak Chinese fluently? Well, kind of. I did. Yeah. It was a while ago, 13 years ago. But, and I think I was, you know, I was getting ready to, you know, go to grad school in China, you know, Shanghai. And my stepdad passed away, which I have a lot of siblings. And it was a really devastating moment in our lives. And so I started cooking and just like, you know, everyone would come to come home and we'd eat and we'd, you know, it was like this therapy for me and for everyone else. And uh, that I think really like, there was something about that. It became like magic in my hands, you know, to be able to like change, change the dialogue, change like the moment through food. I want you to continue on with this. Was this at the point where you were you were going to enroll in culinary school? There's a, a little, there's like this two month span where it was literally like I was applying to every single grad school I could, you know, I thought I could get into. And then it was just like the clouds parted and I signed up for culinary school right in the middle of all of that too. And then I went to culinary school instead. So you wound up going to culinary school? Dropped out eventually. Because, yeah. <laughs> because there was an ice cream business happening. Yeah. In yeah, the background. yeah, exactly. 
were we were just gonna like start a little food cart in Portland. Everyone yeah. starts food carts just like in Portland. Shake Shack. Their little their little food cart. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you dropped out of culinary school because of this, or you were just like, eh. I went to the, I, I remember I went to my chef in school and I was like, I can't come to school anymore. I need to drop out tomorrow. And he's like, why? And I was like, well, you know, this food cart thing is doing really well. And he's like, this is the worst decision you could make. You need to finish school. This is the only way. And I was like, no, 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 trust, trust me. <laughs> Wait, so you were working on this in the background during school? Yeah. Oh, crap. How did that work? It was, you know. I, you know, school in the morning and then go to commissary kitchen in the afternoon and then go scoop ice cream at night. Well, that's a lot. Yeah. But when you, when you're starting a company and it's that small, like everything is fun. Like you can work like 50 hours a day and you know, it's, it's all, it's still fun. Okay. So started as a street cart. Now you have 20 going on more locations. You've created more than five, 600 We lost a thousand maybe. Jesus. I like to ask chefs when they realize they made it as a chef. But for you, <laughs> I don't consider myself a chef. That's the problem. But when did you realize you made it? Oh, I don't think we've made it yet. You have 20 locations, dude. Yeah. We still got a long ways to go. In what yeah. sense, though? Like growth of locations or 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 the brand or educating people about something you're doing or what? I think it was interesting. So when we were in Portland... Kim and I and um, Casey is kind of our the third head. Uh, she was running all of our shops at the time. When we were in Portland, just in Portland, we had four shops in Portland, or three shops in Portland. And um, we had this opportunity to open in Los Angeles seven years ago. I think we, we stepped back and we had this real, it was like this serious, like come to Jesus moment, right? Because we were like, we don't want to leave. I think Kim's quote was perfect. I always remember it. She's like, I love waking up, walking my dogs, you know, going to work. I, I don't want to have to fly to LA every other day. You know, I don't want to have to. And um, ultimately, we had this realization that what we were doing through ice cream was becoming this like foundation for the food community to showcase what was, you know, like showcase really insane stories that we felt were important to tell. If we were going to grow, we could maintain that and, you know, open in Los Angeles and um, completely rebuild the company from scratch there in, in L.A. with new flavors, uh, you know, have our own kitchen there, everything. Um, and, you know, then we could build this model where we could, we call it like the anti-McDonald's model, uh, used a little bit more vulgar, vulgar terms. <laughs> we figured like, what if we could grow this company to be nationwide that has like, is known as like the local, most amazing local ingredient flavor ice cream shop in every single city under the umbrella of salt and straw. And that became like this really lofty goal because no one's ever done that. No one's ever built a national brand with like a completely different, you know, menu, culture, ingredient sourcing, everything across the country. It makes so much more sense just to like take what you're doing and like stamp it, you know, like cookie cutter it across the country. And it, it, we'd be making a lot more money if that were the case. You know, it's kind of cool because now like we've got, I've got this amazing, you know, supply chain team. And every time I talk to the, you know, whenever I sit down with the leaders, I'm like, you're going to be writing, like there's going to be a Harvard Business Journal book about how you built the supply chain system that could maintain this level of innovation and this level of locality 
across the country. And we, we've got this amazing food safety team. And we're like, think about like, you're going to be, you know, like on these panels in the future, like known as the company that unlocked the secret, uh, you know, and you think about that from R and D and from manufacturing, from training, like all of these things we're having to build from scratch that no one's ever, ever done before. And it sounds like, yeah, that's cool. It's really cool. Yeah. That's what I, I would say. I don't know when, when, when we'll figure all that out, but we're building something that I think is going to be pretty amazing. It's going to take a little bit of while, a little bit more time to get that's there. That's cool. So continuing on in the spirit of you not liking to talk about how talented you are, you were selected as one of Forbes 30 under 30 for changing the way America eats. The GAT 30 under 30 uh, in 2017, Portland Business Journal 40 under 40, yada, 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 more and more. Right, yeah, it's cool. That's <laughs> incredible. What do these titles mean to you or accolades? What do they mean to you? And does this praise add pressure to deliver or to surprise your customers? Or is it another day? I think it's, it's amazing. I think it's like I, I've always taken it as, as this appreciation for what our company, what our team is doing. And I think, you know, there, we've got over a thousand people in our company now that are like doing really cool stuff. And so it's, it's, it's pretty neat to get some praise from that perspective um, for, for our team to get that. I think it's, uh, sometimes it's a little weird that it's just my name is on it, but I think it's, it's pretty neat that people are noticing what we're doing as a, as a company. Yeah, that's cool. Do you, so I'm always curious like if chefs read reviews and there's, you know, I think a lot of them do, but there's definitely some who, well, I guess they read reviews, but then there's like Yelp and all that stuff. Do you read reviews of your shops or your ice cream? Mm -hmm. like, do, you pen, do you pay attention to like the comments? Oh yeah, I get Yelp reports every morning. Really? I read all of them. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's incredible. I, I think like, I don't know, I obviously got to grow up in the age of Yelp, uh, you know, like start our business in the age of Yelp. That's interesting point of view. I haven't heard that. Yeah, you know, it started eight years ago. We started our company nine years, right? Like it's- I guess for chefs, like they didn't deal with it and then it came into the picture, but you, like it was there. So it was just been, like yeah. a thing. Huh, yeah, interesting. Like, um, like the prototype millennial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, You're a good example. Thank you. It's cool because there's, you know, I like I said, we I read every single one yeah. and we've got this amazing aggregator that pulls it all together and shows us trends. And it, it's important information. I think every once in a while, there's someone that just like leaves like a three, three word comment and one star it says like line too long, not worth it. Things like that. So we, you have to like those I've kind of like gotten over. They used to kind of hit me hard, like, ugh. but now I, there's like very little value to that type of a feedback. And there's some other negative reviews that are like, I tried this flavor, this flavor, this flavor, this one didn't resonate with me. This one seemed like it was a little off, like, you know, like this and that. And that's impactful feedback that will literally run to it, you know, sit in our R&D team and talk about like, what was going on with that? Did we do something wrong in that? When we were making the ice cream this day, like anything like that. And so I, I, there's valuable feedback and a lot of those reports, you know, those those reviews and then the positive I think is just as great we I think for us like 
what we're doing is so hard from a service perspective and a, and a you know, kitchen perspective that uh, the more feedback we can bring to our team, the more we can get them, you know, like continue to remind them like this is, there's value in what we're doing here. You know, it, we'll, we'll pull out those top ones and read them to our team every day too. So I love it. It's the feedback. Yeah. It's, it's a cool, I think very valuable culture nowadays to be able to get all of that. Yeah. Interesting. So salt and straw is partially owned. I don't know if that's the right term <laughs> by yeah, uh, Dwayne, the rock Johnson. How did that happen? <laughs> we did a friends and family, uh, little investment about a year ago. And, um, and we, uh, in his wife, Danny Garcia, she's, they're based in LA and they've got this really incredible production company. So how, but like, was he a fan or like, did they were, yeah, they were a fan and they called us up and they said, we want to, we see what you're doing with the storytelling aspect. And we want to talk to you because we're just purely because they were a production company. They were like, we want to talk about like, how are you going to do this? How are you going to build this? How are you going to grow it into wow. That's um, pretty cool. different channels, uh, things like that. And so we started talking and I remember we went into their office and we were like, okay, we've got actually just about an hour and a half and then we've got to run to our flight in LAX. And we spent three hours talking. You're like, we'll rebook. Yeah. <laughs> like this is, this yeah. is worth it. Yeah. It was incredible. And I think when you meet someone that's that aligned with, you know, the value of storytelling and the value of kind of, I think they, they have this value of really creating an approachable culture that kind of allows people from all aspects of the country to kind of take their shield or let down their shield a little bit and learn something. And I think that was that that really resonated with us. Um, creating kind of a safe place for anyone to learn was amazing. So we had this little opportunity for them to join in, and yeah, now everyone thinks we're owned by the Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite true, but I would. You know. Yeah. Wait, what's his favorite flavor? <laughs> we made a couple flavors together for for uh, the holidays because I don't know if you know this. He's got his an alter ego called Duanta Claus. I don't think I know this. It's epic. Just really, really, I, I had to research, deeply research Duanta Claus. <laughs> Led me down quite the tunnel. And so we started making flavors back and forth and, you know, I'd send him ice cream and he'd, you know, we'd uh, talk about what flavors he liked. And uh, ultimately the final, the final verdict was like peanut butter and brownies. And I remember the feedback, he sent four bullet points. He's like, you know, I love all these flavors, but, um, you know, so take this, if you don't want to listen to my, my comments, that's totally fine. But here's what I think. And he's like, not. Yeah, I know. That's like, <laughs> what I'm going to, so he's like, I think the first one could use more brownies. <laughs> he was like, and the second one, I just want a little bit more peanut butter. And then the third comment, he was like, what if you combined peanut butter and brownies? <laughs> he's like, what if the brownies were bigger? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I get it. Brownies, peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. So, so speaking of flavors or creativity, I mentioned earlier business partner and cousin Kim. She has kids. What are what is that to you? Co second cousin, um, cousin, nephew, nieces. Yeah, there you go. Do they inspire you? How do they inspire you and your creativity? Because I read a beautiful piece on the fam in Rachel Ray in Season Magazine. Anyhow. It was good. That yeah. was cool, right? Yeah. We did like, we made pasta together. Um, we made almond brittle. My grandma's favorite almond brittle. It's cool. They are amazing children. I, first of all, they're, they're really fun. 
and they get to, they come into the kitchen every once in a while and like we hang out and cook together. It's interesting because I've since day one of starting Salt and Straw, we had this vision like we're going to be family friendly but adult oriented ice cream flavors. You know, and so we have like pear and blue cheese ice cream or strawberry honey balsamic with black pepper. You know, some of these flavors that seem a little bit more unique and not weird. And uh, no, I'm just joking. Uh, they and, not, and, not wacky. No, unique. Not, yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's sorry. I'm totally interrupting you, no, and I good. hate doing this, but I'm doing it. Yeah, please. You almost have to approach your creativity, your flavors, your shops, your ice cream. Like, forget what you know about ice cream. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, totally. Like, for me, at least, like growing up, going into a shop, it was like cookies and cream, strawberry, chocolate, vanilla, flavor of the day, which may be chocolate, crunch, blah, blah. But you're approaching ice cream through this lens that's so unique. You almost have to forget about it because you don't go into the grocery store or another ice cream shop and see pear and blue cheese or strawberry balsamic honey black pepper. Well... Uh, yeah, and we we have this. Um, I think not many people in the uh, no one really realizes. I, it took me a while to put words to this that we have one of the only business models in the entire food universe where you can come in and sample everything on the menu before you buy. Right? You can't go into a fine dining restaurant and be like, "Can I get just like a spoonful of that bone marrow right. dish?" <laughs> I'm just going to order bread. Is that okay? Can I try that black truffle just on a little piece of bread. Yeah. yeah. And so we get this opportunity to like create flavors and, and a lot of people like, it's cool. A lot of people come in and it's like the first time they've ever had foie gras or yeah, black truffles and they get to taste it through a little spoonful of ice cream and be like, okay, cool. I'll have that salted caramel, which is my favorite, you know, and, uh, salted caramel is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Keep, you gotta keep it simple. Sure. So, uh, we get to create, and this sounds really weird and, um, I'm not sure how to say this in the right way, but I, we can create flavors that are designed almost purely to be sampled. And hopefully they take off and people fall in love with them and maybe they'll pair with other flavors in really you know, unique ways. Like we have one flavor that's a bourbon sorbet that by itself, it's a little funky, but then once you add vanilla ice cream, it's like one of the coolest flavor profiles you've ever had in your life. Oh, that's so, interesting. You know, things like that. Every once in a while, like you find, like it finds its niche somewhere. But also every once in a while it's like let's just sample this and like have fun with it or buy a pint and keep it in your freezer and whenever a, a friend spoon. comes over like have a spoonful totally. that's cool that's like you know no you, like i said you there's nothing else in the food industry that you, you can do that yeah. with i think getting back to kim's kids uh yeah sorry about that. no uh-uh, it's it's cool because you know their favorite flavors chocolate vanilla and strawberry honey honey balsamic with black pepper. And we've got a much more simple strawberry flavor on the menu. And they still fall back on this strawberry honey balsamic. And it made me realize like, you know, we're growing up in this new era where I think, you know, we're not like embedding our children with fears of flavors. Um, instead, we're just creating something and like letting them decide for themselves what they, what they're going to like. And, you know, to see that that's a favorite flavor is pretty eye opening for me. And I think every once in a while I'll, I'll scoop them like some pear and blue cheese ice cream or something. And they're like, Oh yeah, this it tastes like bubble gum. It does. Yeah. I didn't quite realize. Yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> well, I like that. That's so neat. it is like, there's something eye opening there and like a little freeing to realize that this is not, you know, I think everyone's like doing all the science of like, what our kids taste buds like before they grow up and things like that. And 
Uh, I think it's more like what's their perception of food and how do we kind of make sure that they're open to tasting things. Interesting. Speaking of kids, I I don't know if you still do this or not, so apologies, but I was reading that many of your shops or all of your shops partner with or have partnered with elementary schools to create flavors designed by kids. One, brilliant. Thank you. It's fun. Yeah. Two, I want you to talk about that or I want to hear an example where the kids like really surprised you. And the flavors turned out to be like a big success. Everything. All (laughs) like, yeah, yes, across the board, of course, we still do it. It's like core to our culture. So what we do, we meet with an elementary school next next to each of our shops. Um, So now we've got 20 locations. We're meeting with 20 elementary classes across the country. And it started out as this way for us to... I think that to obviously interact with our local schools, um, we feel like, you know, education and supporting education is one of the most important things we can do as a small business. And we realized really quickly that like that not many people are getting like, especially kind of that, you know, fourth, fifth grade age. They're not there's not many kids that are getting visibility to what it's like to work in the creative industry, to what it's like to work in the hospitality industry. I think it's they're just focused on math and science. Right. And so we have this opportunity to kind of show them like, how, how can you channel some of your creative aspirations into uh, something real? And it becomes this, this fun project where we talk about, you know, what it's like to run a small business locally, what it's like to create ice cream, what we do in our kitchen, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, their creations then become a fundraiser for their PTA program, which is I think just this really cool cycle. That's really neat. I remember when we were writing our writing our cookbook. Um, Francis Lamb is my editor. Yeah. And, oh and, no way. Yeah. Very cool. Or was. Um, and I remember like an overachiever. I we I overwrote like 150 pages. Like he's like, so you have two books here. You need to like cut half of it. That's funny. I was like, okay. Well, the student flavors like, and he's like, stop. Nope. That's my favorite. <laughs> so that was like, that's always stuck out to me. Like this is important. If someone, you know, if, if he gets it, like there's something important here. So now there's five, five recipes in our cookbook that are created by fourth graders. If you ever get a chance to read it. Yeah. That's awesome. It's crazy the creativity that comes through and just like different perspectives on food that I would never ever imagine. I mean, for one, like, you know, we're doing business in drastically different parts of the country, you know, San Diego versus Seattle. We get to obviously pull in like a lot of kids are bringing in their own perspectives on food. We made a flavor with Takis. I hadn't heard of Takis. Do you, have, do you know of Takis? Yeah, but I had like re- kind of recently, yeah. like within the past few years type thing. Yeah, no, like the kids are at the for- like, this, this San Diego kid is like at the forefront of uh, food, you know? And so, you know, th- there's flavors like that where you're like, what is this? And, uh, and then on top of that, I think there's like this really cool creativity. Like one kid, uh, created a flavor called old people. And it, and I remember I saw it, it was, and he drew a picture and it was old with an E old people. And the flavor was, uh, Lipton iced tea, wheat germ, Werther's originals <laughs> <laughs> and a hint of Bengay. Oh my gosh. And I, you know, you look at that and you're like, I think <laughs> you want to be like, that's funny. There's no way. And instead our whole team is like, that is amazing. 
how do we pull this off? And that becomes a completely different conversation for us, right? Like that, that's a fun conversation. Like, oh my gosh, we see where this kid is going. We understand this vision. Like I would never think of this. How do we try and pull this off? That is um, so funny. You think of that, like the, that level of creativity that it can introduce to a team, a kitchen is, um, it's, it's really amazing. Love that. That's so cool. It's a fantastic segue into talking about social impact, which we kind of, it's a big part of the podcast, obviously, but we've also touched upon it in a great way. But in continuing with that and celebrating chefs, businesses, guests who give back, I've also read you developed flavors from food waste, Mm, which I would classify under social impact because it's a massive problem in this country and beyond the amount, tons of millions of pounds of food that gets, I think, wasted on different levels. Wasted at a farm because a grocery store won't take it, so it gets thrown away or plowed back underground, but also wasted at home. I mean, I feel like I recently read a statistic that we waste 30 to 40% of the food we buy, like in our refrigerator, which is kind of scary. So, Well, it's not just our refrigerator. Yeah, you, go beyond, to, you can yeah. go to the farms and they'll pick you know, 50,000 pounds of strawberries that just rot in the fields. It's crazy. So share about that with us. I think for us, there's, we, we do have kind of our three pillars. I think, you know, education, access to food and um, creating safe places and access to food is, is critical in my opinion for so many different reasons. I'm actually, I'm on the board with this program called urban gleaners in Portland that ultimately um, that that was the basis for this conversation about food waste I remember as I was meeting with, you know, just getting acquainted with their program, they, uh, what they do, they started as literally they'd go to Whole Foods and as Whole Foods was throwing away all their leftover baked goods and, you know, groceries, uh, anything that was about to expire in the next week, they were like, can you just put that in this cart and we're going to take it to a local school and, uh, and slowly became, you know, a huge player. I think they saved over a million pounds of food last year. So what happened, what I, uh, the story that she told me, Tracy is the founder. She, she went into schools and she was trying to figure out how do you like, how do you start this conversation with kids? Because we have a lot of food and we want to get it into the hands of children that are going home and need this food. Right. And you can't walk into an elementary school. You can't go into like a fourth grade class and be like, who is hungry at night? Who's not, whose parents aren't feeding you. Right. Like that's just doesn't work. I don't know if you remember being a fourth grader. You're not going to be like, Oh me. So she handed out paper plates and a box of crayons. And she said, uh, everyone just like, this is a, this is an art assignment. Um, draw on this paper plate, what you ate for dinner last night. And you know, you drew this like drew spaghetti and meatballs and or like a bag of chips and chicken nuggets. And when she was telling me the story, she ha- still had this one plate and it someone in really, really beautiful cursive, this uh, little girl, she wrote nothing right around the outside. And you realize like, oh my, <laughs> what the fuck are we doing here? Like, why, why, what are we doing serving foie gras? And, you know, and like if this, if we have children in our neighborhoods that aren't getting fed and, you know, like we realize in this, like what we thought was a wealthy part of Portland, like one fifth of kids are not eating dinner at night. And the only food they get to eat is breakfast at school and lunch at school. And then I you think about the summer, they don't get to, they hardly eat at all. And so it just like completely blew my mind. I, I had no idea. I felt like so 
ignorant, right? To think like this is going on. And if you compile that with the fact that we're wasting 40% of the food in the country, all of a sudden you realize it's, a, it's not a problem of supply, it's a problem of supply chain and marketing. And that's where everything's going awry. Like, if we've got all this food, we've got all these kids that are hungry, like, what are we doing? What do we need to do to like close that gap? And so what's amazing with Salt and Straw is we figured like we we're going to serve, you know, 2 million people in this month or this summer. Like what if we told everyone that came into our shop about food waste and about this, this story about kids needing food. So we created a whole menu. We worked with 15 nonprofits up and down the West coast and created 20 flavors of ice cream that were completely based off of, you know, it told the full cyclical um, story of food waste. So we worked with, you know, farms that were going to throw away sunchokes. You know, they have like pallets and pallets of sunchokes. We worked with this really cool nonprofit that goes out and like they pick uh, oranges from orchards that are in the back of people's backyards. We worked with like a farm that after all the food waste that can't be eaten is like slightly rotting, they feed to their pigs. And so we worked with the farm to like make bacon out of their, like candied bacon out of their pigs. That's interesting. Yeah, because like it, it becomes like this full cycle. And so uh, we created that menu and it was amazing. And we still, to this day, our team talks about it and we still get to talk about that, that this issue with our customers. And I think that that level, it resonates. And it's exactly what we talked about at the very beginning. I think we're not trying to shock anyone, but we get to provoke a conversation conversation that otherwise wouldn't have happened and definitely wouldn't happen in a standard ice cream company, uh, ice cream shop. Like we get to pr provoke this conversation of food waste through ice cream. And, you know, the same with the kids, the kids are coming up with pretty unique flavors. You know, um, I think, um, one kid created a, the ballistic bagel last year and a lot of customers come in they're like, what is that? Why? And you get to say like, Whoa, like, let's talk about this school because it's a title one school and you know, they're, they need our money. They need like, they need this attention. Mm -hmm. You need to know why this local, you know, uh, this, this public school is so important to our neighborhood. And you know, if a, if a bagel cream cheese and candied lox ice cream is what it's going to take to like, get you to talk about that, then let's like, let's serve it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Hopefully that answered your question. Dude, above and beyond. That's incredible. Oh, that was fantastic. Is there anything else you want to share about organization? I mean, that was great, but is there anything else you want to share about organizations you work with, give back to anything, anything like that? Or yeah. I mean, I think, uh, Again, using our, our ice cream as a social platform, we're getting ready for this summer to serve a new menu. We're working with three nonprofits around food incubators that are really kind of supporting their, the food industry in a really amazing way. So Hot Bread Kitchen in, in oh, New cool. York, yeah. um, La Cocina in San Francisco, and then um, Portland Mercado in, in Oregon. And what's amazing is we realized that these nonprofits are actually taking people that otherwise wouldn't have access to getting into the food industry, and they're providing them with different avenues, and each of them in really creative ways. You know, Portland, they're providing them with really low rent, ready-to-use food carts, and, you know, helping them bring their product to market after that. After that, and La Cocina kind of, you know, putting them through this, you know, uh, 16 month course, hot bread kitchen, similar ways. Like, and I think the foods that are coming out of these incubators 
are completely changed, drastically changing the way we eat in the United States. I, it was crazy because halfway through the program, or, you know, we've been working on this menu for over a year now. Halfway through it, one of our partners won best restaurant of the year in San Francisco, Bisharam. Mm. Yeah. And she hadn't cooked. She'd never professionally cooked until she was uh, connected with La Cocina. But she's doing this like she grew up in this very remote part of India and is cooking the food that she learned to cook when she was growing up. And, her, you know, her whole life story is mind-blowing. And so being able to, like, tell that you know, through her, through ice cream becomes this new avenue for us. And again, talking about creating safe places for people to come in and learn about the community around them and like the foods that are kind of altering the way they eat is pretty, uh, that's one of our missions. And uh, we get to lean into it in a really delicious way. That's awesome. How far out do you work? Like, so you mentioned you're doing that for this summer. How far out do you work on creating flavors? We try to stay over a year in advance. Wow. So what happens if like nine months later, 11 months later, you ever go back to a flavor and you're like, eh, I don't know if I like this one anymore. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> My or team like, hates me. And yeah. I was like, God. <laughs> yeah, but I think if we can plan far enough in advance, then it leaves plenty of room. I think we've realized that like we have this goal of be being, you know, creating these monthly menus. So uh, we didn't really talk about this, but when you go into Salt and Straw, the first Friday of every month is a brand new menu. And when I say that, it's a hard start and hard stop date, and it's treated just like, um, we call it the theater of flavor. So we treat it almost like this, this like monumental opportunity. You know, like the, we, we put a ton of the story behind it, and they're a, a cohesive set of five flavors that are kind of poignant in some way that we feel is important to talk about. You know, like January, we talk about what vegan indulgence is in June. We're talking about, you know, these food incubators, things like that. So these really important stories, we almost, I think of myself more as like a food writer, you know, like it's almost like a monthly magazine through five flavors of ice cream. So uh, it's like, yeah, it's my, my vision so for it. there's five that change every first Friday? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this cohesive set. And then a lot of cities are, you know, slightly different based off of who, what partners we're working with. And what we found is like, if we want to maintain the level of like storytelling and the depth of, and make sure the flavors are truly well thought out and that we're, you know, doing this really intense sourcing for all of these ingredients, we need to be planning really far in advance. Cause you think about it, even like our farmers, we need to be warning them nine months in advance. Like, here's what I need in August to make this flavor come true. Uh, or, yeah, yeah. So when you go into a like when you go into a, a new city with a shop, I guess you kind of alluded to that here for here in Miami. You, I guess, create relationships mm -hmm. like before you're on the ground, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been amazing. So I, I get to travel to Miami every couple every few weeks and hang out at breweries and eat donuts and that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and just talk about flavors and we've been sending pints of ice cream back and forth to our partners for the past uh, three months, trying to get ready, like lock in what these flavors are, you know, dial in the recipes. It's a fun process. I could do a whole episode on just that, um, but I'm not. <laughs> Next time. All right, let's do a speed round here. I gotta stretch. When was the last time you had ice cream for breakfast? Not very, it's often uh, obvious. Yeah, I don't know, last Tuesday maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> name a smell. I usually say name a smell in the kitchen you love, but let's say name a smell in the shop that you love. Mm, well, it, it's a, our waffle cones. Yeah, it sticks to your clothes. If you ever, 
this is a trick. Go walk into a salt and straw, just spend five minutes in there and then wear the same clothes to a gym and people will follow you That's around. Funny. <laughs> They're like, what? You smell like, smell like a waffle. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Name a smell in the kitchen or shop that you hate. This is honey, uh, lavender. We make honey lavender every night. We let it steep in honey each night. And when it first heats up, it just like punches. You. Yeah, it's intense. Or burning fish sauce. That's actually it. We make fish sauce caramel, so you have to burn the fish sauce. That's intense. What pisses you off in the kitchen? Nothing really. I, you, you know, seem easygoing. Yeah. Nothing like annoys you. Not particularly. I remember we <laughs> we did a we had a a, st- a stage once. Build a, a a chair out of milk containers and just sit down in the middle of their shift and just sit there in the middle of the kitchen for like, at first we thought it was a joke. <laughs> they were like, what are you doing? You have to leave. This is not working. That's crazy. So that was, I, it didn't piss me off. It was just, uh, I was more shocked, bewildered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what makes you happy in the kitchen? The reason I love cooking so much because it just like when it becomes, you almost, it's meditative in many ways. So once you kind of hit your flow, and that can happen in a lot of different ways. And ice cream, you know, we're making ice, these salted caramel ice cream. So we swirl uh, homemade caramel into the ice cream as it's coming out of the machine. And you kind of create this like double helix pattern out of the caramel and the ice cream spinning, you know, spinning the tub of ice cream in it. You literally hypnotize yourself over the course of like a couple hours of making ice cream. Really, it's like, it's crazy. And that happens, I think, for a lot of people in the kitchen. You start like... Kind of, it's, it's like, it's, it's like a drug. It's wild. Huh? So at South Beach Wine and Food Festival, you're doing a spiking ice cream deal. Yeah. Cocktails and ice cream. Yeah. I like it. What's your favorite alcohol ice cream pairing? Now that I'm reading, now that I'm saying this, it's either alcohol, like drinking with ice cream, but I think I mean in ice cream. I can answer this like 20 different ways, but I, since it's the speed round, I, I got to do an event in Amsterdam a little bit ago, you know, like went with a bunch of chefs from Seattle. And I think it was ironic at first, but we started drinking a lot of Jaeger, a lot of Jaeger. It's surprisingly, <laughs> surprisingly not that bad. It's, it's kind of good. So I, I'm, I'm kind of on a Jägermeister kick right now. <laughs> Are you playing with it in flavor? Yeah, well, I'm trying to make some pints and send it. Do you know Ethan Stoll? No. Yeah, chef from Seattle. I want to make him, a, I'm going to make him a special pack of pints. Don't tell him. No, That's I'm my not. secret. I'm not. Secret gift coming soon. <laughs> okay. Is there is there a recipe that is very meaningful to you? Yeah. I, for me, my I used to cook with my grandma these... Um, Crybaby cookies is what she called them. Have huh. you heard? Of, I, no. I've tried to get, I've asked so many people, a thousand people, if they've heard of crybaby cookies and no one has. Now I want to Google it. Well, they're molasses cookies or like uh, maybe a form of ginger, ginger snap cookies kind of. And I'm starting to think like just over the past year, I'm, I'm starting to realize like maybe my grandma called them crybaby cookies because I was <laughs> crybaby <laughs> Like, I wonder if she just called them that to me. That's really so funny. I need to, I'm going to have to start looking into that. All right. Cry baby cookies. But they're molasses cookies. And I just, uh, I remember, you know, I'd make them every single year with her. And uh, I remember then being like 16 and calling her up and be like, can I have that recipe? And, and she said, there is no recipe. And I was like, what? And she's like, I just measure it all and, until it looks right. That was shocking. 
that was just like, I'd never thought of that in cooking. Cause I always thought we had like, we used measuring cups. It just completely hurt my head. It blew my mind that that's like possible in cooking and especially in baking. That's so wild. All right, let's close it out with your website states, if you ever stop believing in magic, eat some ice cream. What advice would you give to young or not so young people that need a boost of inspiration or creativity? I mean, you know, it, it, this is a hard question for me because I, I, I've realized, especially over the past couple of years, that everyone has a completely different approach to creativity and inspiration. And actually that realization was the most important thing, like to realize that like, I am not, I'm not one of those people that can like sit in a room and just be like, oh my gosh, that's an amazing idea. Like I have to, I've got a very analytical, like mathematic mind. So I have to, I have to be constantly learning about, you know, like do deep research, like learn about something, learn about like the history of a certain recipe, et cetera, et cetera, until anything starts, you know, any idea start flowing. And I think that's very different. I, you know, I'm like got to judge chopped once and I was like, Oh my God, I could never do this. <laughs> you know, I, I can't come up with ideas on the fly. It's like not my, it's not my type of creativity and that's fine. That in and of itself was really critical for me to realize what, what's my type of creativity? How do I lean into it? And how do I like make sure that I'm building into my day-to-day -day processes, like ways to instigate it? It's a good realization. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. This was fun. I definitely heard tons about Salt and Straw over the years and then started seeing pints at places like Daily Provisions in New York, Strawberry Rye, is that? Yeah, oh, yeah. they sent us rye bread. Really Delicious. And then when I was visiting LA, went to, I now go to the shop every time I am in West LA. And, and I started, I feel like I started to get it. Like when I went to the shop, like what you all were doing by interacting, communicating with the staff and you kind of reinforced it all. And I think you, your business is a extremely great model for the food industry and beyond. There's plenty of people listening to this podcast out of the food industry that get inspired by people in the food industry. And I think just, you're not just coming up with unique flavors of ice cream and putting them in a store. Like there's, there's a story and there's a why and there's thought and there's people behind the magic as we were just saying. So honestly, continue to do what you all are doing. It's pretty awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Tyler Malik. Find more on him at saltandstraw.com. To learn more about Urban Gleaners, go to urbangleaners.org. That's U-R-B-A-N-G-L-E-A-N-E-R-S.org. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at On Kathy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Plate Podcast. This episode was produced by myself, along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetton, and Sean Petrosian. Our digital media is by Sarah McClellan Mee. Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. As always, special shout out to my wife, Katie. Please rate, review, and or subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Don't forget to join us next Wednesday for an episode of Beyond the Drink, our companion podcast of Beyond the Plate, presented by Ford's Gin. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy, and remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen. <laughs>